I want you to imagine the morning after a wedding. It's the morning after a wedding and, and you have a bride and a groom and, and they're both just, just slowly waking up together and it's this beautiful start to their new life together. And the groom, he wakes up a little earlier than, than the bride and he looks over at his beautiful bride just sleeping there and, and he's just in awe of her. And he just watches her as she slowly opens her eyes and, and he's looking at her and she turns to him and says, What? <laughs> and he says, oh, I just... I love you so much. I'm just so glad that we're married. I I just am overwhelmed with joy. And and as I'm watching you sleep there, I'm just wondering, what what is she dreaming? And now that you're awake, I'm just thinking, what what are you thinking? I just want to know what you're thinking about. And she looks at him and says, you know, we had several great years of dating each other. We really got to know each other really, really well. I feel like I know you and, and you know me. And, and we had a good year or so of, of being engaged and we got to know each other even better. And, and now we're married. And, and you know, I feel like we know each other enough now. I, I mean, really, do you need to know what I'm thinking? I mean, come on. You don't need to know what I'm thinking. I mean, you, you have your thoughts and I have mine. We don't need to know what each other's thinking. I mean, we're married now, and, and so for the rest of our married life, you know, every once in a while we'll get together, coordinate schedules, you know, figure out who's picking up the groceries and the dry cleaning, and, and if I need something, I'll tell you, and if you need something, you can tell me, but beyond that, I mean, really, do we, do we need to know each other anymore? Would that be a good morning after the wedding? Is this couple in for good married relationship? Of course, some of the guys out there, you might be thinking, man, he just married the perfect woman. <laughs> no. No, that's wrong. Shame on you for thinking that. It's bad. We know that this is not how a marriage should be. We know that. In fact, I hope we know that's not how any relationship should be. There should always be a a desire and an effort to want to know the other person more. The more you know someone, the more you can love them. The more you can have that relationship with them, the deeper that relationship can go. But what about our relationship with Christ? Is it possible that some of us wake up one day and we say, Christ, I know you enough. I accepted Christ as my Savior. I mean, really, what more do I need to do? Why do I need to learn more about Him? Why do I need to study my Bible? Why do I need to go to Sunday school? Why are sermons important? In fact, can I just love Jesus at home? Or can I love Jesus on the golf course? I can worship God out in creation on the golf course. I can't. My golf game's not good enough to call it worship. But some people might be able to. Can I just... Can I just do this on my own? I mean, why why do we need to grow? What's the big deal? And so today we're starting a series called So Great a Salvation. And I want you to know kind of why we're doing this series now. Throughout the book of Revelation, one thing among many that impressed me so much or was impressed upon me 
by the book of Revelation was this constant call to keep going. Stay strong in our faith. I hope you heard that too as we studied it. Hold on to Jesus Christ. Hold on to your faith. Hold on to salvation. Don't let anything take it away. Don't give in to the ways of the culture. Keep holding on. We saw that in the letters to the seven churches especially with this idea of being an overcomer, being the victorious one, being the one that even when the world falls apart, you say, I will follow Jesus Christ, period. But what really struck me throughout the book of Revelation was that while there was this huge call to hold on to our salvation, the book of Revelation didn't really explain what that meant. It didn't describe exactly what salvation is. It didn't go into detail about what Christ had done for us. It was more just a call to hold on to it. And that's okay. We have other parts of Scripture to go to that really explain what this is. And so I I came out of that series thinking... What is it that we're going to hold on to? How do we know we're holding on to the right thing? Because really, when the world turns against us, when everything gets difficult, when everything is falling apart, that's not the time you want to figure out, I've been holding on to the wrong thing all along. Right? You want to know going into those times. And so over the next 10 weeks or so, leading up to Christmas, we're going to look at what salvation is. We're going to look specifically at what Christ has done for us. And we're going to lead up to the Sunday before salvation. We'll look at so great a Savior. Why is Jesus and Jesus alone qualified to be our Savior? Now, obviously, between now and the Sunday before Christmas, we're going to talk about Jesus a lot as we talk about salvation. But I think that'll be a neat way to really lead into Christmas, looking at so great a Savior. So this morning, my goal is to give you an overview of the series, help you to understand why we're talking about this, why it's important, and to give you a couple things to think about as we walk forward in the series. I've subtitled this series, uh, So Great a Salvation, Simple Enough for a Child, Strong Enough for Life. And as I thought about studying salvation, one of the things I was worried about is we could get into justification and sanctification and glorification. We're going to talk about those things. But we could get into all these great, deep theological subjects and get to the point where we overcomplicate the understanding of salvation to the point that nobody can understand it. And I'm a firm believer that if we can't communicate what Jesus has done and how he saves us to a child, we probably don't understand it ourselves. So salvation in Scripture is actually very simple. Now, we don't want to stop there, and we'll talk about that in a moment. But in every sermon, I want to present to you some very simple things. So if you're here, and maybe you're here and you're not a child, but maybe this whole church thing is new to you. Maybe the whole Bible thing, maybe you've never read your Bible on your own before, and it's all new. And somebody turns says, turn to Matthew, and you're like, I'm in Ezekiel. I don't even know what that means. That's fine. I want you to have things in each sermon that you're going to grasp that are just simple and beautiful about what Jesus has done. So let's talk a little bit about the simplicity of what Christ has done for us. In Matthew 19, you can stick in Hebrews in your Bible, but you can follow along up here if you want. In Matthew 19, 13 through 14, it says this, Then the people brought little children to Jesus for him to place hands on them and pray for them. But the disciples rebuked them. Jesus said, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. I thought this was really interesting because if you flip back a a page or so, depending on your Bible, to chapter 18, this comes up in 18, 3 through 5. 
Jesus says, Truly I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever takes the lowly position of this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me. Now, I don't know how long before chapter 19, the events of chapter 18 occurred, but isn't it ironic that Jesus had been teaching his disciples, whoever welcomes a child in my name welcomes me. And sometimes, shortly after that, children are coming to Jesus. And what do the disciples do? Hey, go away, kids. We're busy here. This is grown-up stuff. That's my paraphrase. I think the disciples are looking at this and they're saying, oh, the kids are coming and we've got really important, deep theological things to talk about. I mean, this is Jesus, the Son of God, the Savior of the world. Kids, you're bugging us. Get out of here. And Jesus is saying, wait a minute. If my salvation, if my message doesn't apply to children, then it doesn't really apply to anybody. Bring the kids. They need to hear this. They need to understand what's going on. And I think as a part of that, Jesus is clearly saying the kids can get it. And I want you to hear that throughout this sermon series because we are going to dig into some very deep things. But if you're here and you didn't grow up going to church or you hear things all the time about Christ and you're just not sure, please keep coming. Because there is so much beautiful simplicity in the gospel of salvation through Jesus Christ that I hope you will be getting out of this sermon series. Salvation is simple enough for a child. And so I don't want to lose the simplicity of salvation throughout this series. But I also don't want to just stop there. Because salvation is also strong enough for life. Colossians 2, 6, and 7, some of my favorite verses. So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue. Continue to live your lives in in Him. Rooted and built up in Him. Strengthened in the faith as you were taught. And overflowing with thankfulness. My fear is that as Christians, too many of us are like that husband and wife the day after their wedding. And yet, we would look at that illustration of the wedding and we'd say, that's ridiculous. Nobody would do that. And yet, I think many of us do that with Jesus Christ. We say, well, I'm saved. I don't need to hear that anymore. He's always talking about Jesus. I know Jesus. I don't need that anymore. I'm saved. I don't need to go to church. I don't need to grow. And the Bible is so clear. So then, just as you receive Jesus as Lord, Continue to live in him. And it uses these metaphors, and we talked about this in the discipleship series, which was a long time ago. But we need to be rooted, we need to sink our roots deep down into the truths of Jesus Christ. We need to continually draw up from that, learning new things day in and day out. I am a firm believer that we could spend every waking moment of this life learning about Jesus Christ and never exhaust the riches of what there is to know about Jesus. In fact, I'll take it a step further. I believe we could take every waking moment of life in the kingdom that is to come in eternity and never exhaust the riches that there is to know about Jesus Christ. It's one of the reasons I believe heaven has to be eternal because it's going to take an eternity to even just begin to comprehend an eternal God who has given us his son, Jesus Christ, to save us. And so like a good relationship, our relationship with Jesus needs to continue to grow. 
Salvation is a one-time thing. When we accept Jesus, we are brought from death to life. We're going to look at all these things. But salvation doesn't just stop at a one-time thing. That's like saying birth is a one-time thing. Well, yes, birth is a one-time thing. But is the point of birth just to have that one day of birth and that's it? No, the point of birth is to have life, to keep growing, to keep learning, to grow up and to figure out who this child is and for them to understand the way God has wired them. And it's the same way with new life in Christ. It is strong enough for all of life. And we must not settle or neglect or ignore this great salvation. That warning comes out of Hebrews chapter 2, verse 3. We're going to look at it in a second, but it's going to shape a lot of what we do in this sermon series. We must not ignore so great a salvation. So throughout this sermon series, I hope in every sermon to give two levels. What is it about Jesus that anybody can understand? If you don't know him at all, you don't know scripture at all, you're just a child, or you're a grown-up and you're still trying to figure this stuff out, what can you understand? But I also, throughout the sermons, I want to go deeper and deeper and deeper so that we can stand amazed, increasingly amazed, at what God has done for us through Jesus Christ. Simple enough for a child, strong enough for life. But why? Why talk about salvation? I mean, we want to talk about marriages and godly marriages. We want to talk about how to raise children. We want to talk about what it means to be a church. We want to talk about things that are going on in our culture. Yes, yes, yes. All of those things. But I believe if we don't get this right, none of the rest of it matters. If we don't understand salvation by Jesus Christ and through Jesus Christ alone, everything else will take us off course. So we need to understand this great salvation. Hebrews 2.3 says this, how shall we escape if we ignore so great a salvation? How shall we escape if we ignore so great a salvation? I love that Mark preached from Hebrews last week because he did a bit of an overview of Hebrews. And as I met with Mark and we talked about the, uh, the, his sermon, one of the things he was struggling with, and, and all preachers struggle with, especially in a book like Hebrews, Hebrews is so connected. Every passage, every verse is so connected to everything else that's going on. You almost feel like in order to preach one little verse, you have to explain the whole book. So that's what I'm going to do. I told, I told Mark last week, don't do it. You don't have time. I shouldn't do it either. But uh, trust me, I'll go quick. It, and really, it starts in Hebrews 1. Turn back to Hebrews chapter 1. It's really profound to say the message of Hebrews starts in Hebrews 1. But it does. It starts in Hebrews 1. Look at Hebrews 1.1. 1, 1. We'll just read a couple verses here. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom he also made the universe. The son is the radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. So he became as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is superior to theirs. And what the author of Hebrews does as he walks through the book is he ties everything into what God has done in the Old Testament. 
And a lot of people will read this and they'll say, well, see, Jesus just does away with the Old Testament. We don't need it because he's so much better. I don't think that's what the author of Hebrews is doing at all. I think what he's saying is the Old Testament is so important because it all points to Jesus. And if we're going to truly understand who Jesus is, we need to also understand what God is doing in the Old Testament. Some of you may have been raised in a tradition that said God worked one way in the Old Testament and one way in the New Testament. That's wrong. Can I just humbly tell you it's wrong? That is not the God that we serve. In fact, the Bible is very clear. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. God has been saving people through his grace and through faith in him from Genesis to Revelation. It's always been that way. And we're going to look at that as we walk through this because if we're going to understand the greatness of our salvation, I think it helps to get a big picture of what God has been doing from history past to eternity future. And so that's what we're going to do next week as we look at an overview of Scripture. But the rest of the book of Hebrews, all 13 chapters, is really an exposition on the greatness of salvation. And it is beautiful. It is complex. It is rich. It ties into all these facets of what God has done in the Old Testament. shows how Christ is the fulfillment of those things and contains this warning. Don't ignore it. And he's really talking to people that thought the Old Testament was a huge deal, much larger than I think we give it credit for today. And I think we could learn from them. But what he does is he says, if you thought the Old Testament was so important, how much more so should we consider Christ important? That doesn't put down the Old Testament. It lifts up Jesus Christ. And that should be our view of the unity of Scripture. Salvation is found in and only in Jesus Christ. So next week we're going to look at an overview of Scripture. Why is Jesus and salvation, why is that part of God's plan and the epitome of God's plan from Genesis to Revelation? The week after that, we're going to look at what it means to be in Christ. Did you know that in all of his letters, and as soon as I say this, somebody's going to prove me wrong, but let me say it anyway. In general, I'll put that in there in case I'm wrong. In general, Paul doesn't use the word Christian. Did you know that? When he's talking about us, when he's talking about somebody who's accepted Christ as their Savior, he doesn't use the word Christian. Do you know what phrase he loves more than anything else that he uses over and over and over? In fact, I couldn't even count the number of times. It's the phrase, those who are in Christ. And I think it's something as modern people, as evangelicals today, I think we've lost sight of salvation being in Christ. We know that it's through Christ. We know that it's trusting in Christ. But Paul takes it a lot further than that. He looks at the cross and he says, in Christ on the cross, I'm crucified. I am in Christ. He looks at the empty tomb and he says, in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, I am in Christ, therefore I am raised to new life. He looks at Christ in eternity and he says, he's, he's at the right hand of the Father that's my position in Jesus Christ. And it is such a rich and meaningful way of looking at salvation. And it's going to be used, and I will use it throughout the rest of the series. We'll look at each of these things as being in Christ. Some of the other topics we're going to look at. What does it mean to be born again? We throw that phrase around a lot. And how does that fit with repentance? The essence or the, the essential nature of being born again and the relationship with repentance. We're going to look at justification. This is a phrase or a deep and rich theological term that frankly has come under a lot of attack lately. 
uh, as it did a long time ago. So we're going to look at what is a biblical understanding of justification. What does it mean to be adopted? And I love the song that Jalissa signed, you know, there are no orphans. What does it mean to be adopted into the family of God? What a powerful way to look at our lives, to say, God chose me. I am saved. I am adopted. We're going to look at sanctification. What is the ongoing work of salvation in our life? The way that God is working in each and every follower of Jesus Christ to make us into the people he has called us to be. What is, what is sanctification? How do we hold on to God's promises? How do we trust in the ongoing work that he is doing in our life? Then we're going to look at what's the relationship between salvation and the church. Because again, I think in our modern understanding of Christianity, salvation is about my relationship with God through Jesus Christ, and that's it. And we stop there. That's not a biblical understanding of of salvation. Salvation doesn't stop with me and God. Salvation is something that God has called us together as the church the people, the followers of Jesus Christ to live out salvation in this world. So we're going to look at that relationship between how salvation shapes our understanding of the church. And then finally, we'll look at so great a Savior. Who is the Savior? And why is He alone qualified to save us from our sins? Salvation is great. And I hope at the end of this series you have a better understanding and I have a better understanding of what that means, that salvation is great. I hope every day we wake up saying, God, thank you for a great salvation. I hope we live our lives just constantly thinking about and overflowing with thankfulness. But we also need to hear the warning from Hebrews chapter 2, verse 3. Salvation is not to be ignored. I've had a lot of friends that that have boats. It's nice to have a friend that has a boat. Did you know that? It's like having a friend with a pickup. You know, you don't have to take care of it yourself, but if you ever need to move, they're there. I've had friends that have a boat. Now, Dave, Dave has a boat, but Dave has a, a one of these boats he kind of throws in the water. He doesn't really throw it, but he, you know, he puts it in the water and he takes it out. I've had some friends that leave their boats in the water. And, and so you'll go out with them and we'd be out on like Long Island Sound or something. We'd come back and they would dock their boats. Now, when you help a friend tie up a boat, this is a high responsibility, right? Because in that moment, that knot that you tie, the way you lash it to the dock, determines the experience of that boat tomorrow and the next day and the next day and with whatever, whatever weather is going to come along the way. So if you get out of the boat and it's a beautiful, sunshiny, calm day and you just sort of throw on a little quick slip knot or something, you know, it's no big deal. I just It's nice weather. Who cares? You throw that on and you leave. What's going to happen when the storm comes? What's going to happen when the wind picks up and the waves rock it? And I always think about this when I was helping my friends tie up their boats because I thought, what if it's my knot that gives way, right? What, what if it's the line that I just tied and they come back and their, their boat is flailing around on one line because mine was the one that gave way because I didn't take it seriously enough. Hebrews takes everything that God has done in the Old Testament and he, it uses it as a pattern for us. And it says, look at the people of the Old Testament. God saved them. He called them out of Egypt. He called them into the land. He he established this relationship with them. And yet, look at how they treated that salvation. 
They ignored it so often, like the bubbles. It would pop. From time to time, it was just gone. Oh, who cares? Who cares what God's doing? It doesn't matter. We're going to live our own way now. And then things would go bad and they would come back to God. God, help us. And the moment they were fine, they would ignore God again. And the author of Hebrews is taking that and saying, okay, if what Christ has done is even greater than what God did in the Old Testament, how much more so do we need to hear the warning? Don't ignore this. Don't ignore this. If we go back to Hebrews chapter 2, verse 1, we must pay the most careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard, so that we do not drift away. There's two boating metaphors in this passage. Paying careful attention was a, a phrase that was applied sometimes to ship's captains. And it was the idea of staying on course. They needed to be careful. They needed to pay attention because if they didn't pay attention, they would steer the boat in the wrong direction. Ship, right? Probably ship. People always say it's not a boat, it's a ship. We need to pay careful attention. But later on, there's also this idea of so that we do not drift away. And that's the idea of somebody, like I said earlier, tying up their boat, thinking, yep, it's secure, no big deal. And maybe they're sitting on the dock and they're sipping their coffee and they're just sunning themselves, reading a book. And meanwhile, in the background, their boat, their very expensive boat, is just slowly floating away. And they're just sitting there sipping their coffee. We need to pay close attention so that we do not drift away. It takes work to pay attention to salvation. And I believe as Christians, we have a tendency to get lazy. We are so firm that we cannot earn our own salvation. We cannot work for our own salvation. And that is good and that is true. But the Bible very clearly says it takes effort to hold on to this salvation that has been given to us. Otherwise, we may find that we're actually holding on to the wrong thing. Now, I know some of you are sitting here. And you've got questions going through your head. Well, is he saying we can lose our salvation? I don't actually think that's what this is about. It's starting with what is salvation in the first place. Forget whether or not you can lose it or whether or not you can't lose it. I'm talking about as a church, as a body of Christ, are we truly preaching and holding on to salvation in our midst? Because i got to tell you, as I look around the United States of America, I can see a lot of churches that have drifted away from salvation. Well, they've got great messages, they've got great music, they've got great programs. They just don't actually have salvation anymore. And I pray for them. Because they're spending all this effort in the wrong place. And I don't want that to be us. What are some ways we can ignore salvation? We can treat it as though it's not important. You say, oh yeah, I I go to church every once in a while. Yeah, sure, I'm a Christian, but you know, it's no big deal. I can do whatever I want the rest of the week. That's ignoring salvation. We can become Sunday-only Christians. We give God a few hours once a week and we think, "Well, well, that's good, I'm a Christian those few hours, but the rest of the week is mine. That's ignoring salvation. We can quit getting to know who Christ is and what He has done. And there's two excuses we use in this. One is, well, I can't understand. I'm just, I'm a simple person. I can't really understand all this deep stuff. That's a lie. 
Because there's so much in Scripture we can understand. And we can hide sometimes behind this perception of ignorance or this idea that I can't understand it, and so we don't go farther. We don't understand. Now, I don't think that everybody needs a theology degree. I don't think everybody needs to go to seminary. I don't think everybody needs to read the latest journals of theology and all the the things that are going on in the theological world and the nitpicky things that theologians are talking about. I don't. In fact, sometimes I wonder if anybody needs that stuff. But I, I, I'm not saying everybody needs that. But I am saying we can't just stop with, "Well, I trusted Jesus, so I'm good." We need to continue to grow. The other lie or or excuse that we hide behind, some say I can't understand, and a lot of people hide behind, I already understand. Well, I've grown up in church. I've heard sermons over and over and over again. I've led Bible studies in Sunday school. I was a deacon. I was an elder, whatever it was. I, I already understand. However much we think we understand about salvation in Jesus Christ, I guarantee you beyond any shadow of a doubt, it is such a small sliver of the truth that we could possibly come to know about what Christ has done for us. There's more to know. And I think that's one of the joys of salvation is always looking at the depths of what Christ has done for us. We ignore salvation when in our lives we get comfortable, like calm weather. And we hold on to Christ loosely. And the moment something difficult comes along, we say, God, you're not doing what I want anymore. I'm going to go somewhere else and look for something else to find my security and my safety. And we don't even realize until the bad weather hits that we have just drifted away. God sent his son, took our sin and put it upon him, and put his son to death in our place. That's the essence of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He who knew no sin became sin for us and died in our place. He took our sin. He gives us his righteousness. I think those are terms, however deep and profound they are, I think it's things that every child can understand. And I think it's something that every Christian needs to hold on to with everything that we've got. And then God raised his son back to life. And he promises new life, a changed life, a kingdom life, living for something different than the ways of this world as we looked at in the book of Revelation, holding on to who Jesus Christ is, not being swayed by the things of this world. A new life. I think children can even understand that. But I think we need to keep learning and keep growing. Because this salvation is incredibly great. And we need to be careful that we're not guilty of ignoring it. As we walk through this series, I want to encourage you to pray and ask God, God, help me to better understand the salvation you have given me. And if you're here and you've never accepted Christ, maybe this salvation is something outside of you that you need to learn about. And I pray through this series you can understand the richness of what Jesus Christ has done for you. And maybe by the end of this, you'll say, yes, I believe that Jesus is my Savior. But I pray that you would ask God and say, God, just give me an open mind. Give me an attentive heart so that I would not ignore this incredible salvation that you have given to me. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, 
God, starting a series like this, like any preaching endeavor, is, is difficult. Because as I try to explain and look at the greatness of salvation, there is so much that I'm going to miss. And yet I pray that we can touch on enough that will give people a constant desire to learn and to grow more. God, as we walk through this, may we just be amazed at what you have done. May we be overwhelmed and overflowing with thankfulness. May it change our perspective on who we are now and how we are to live now in light of the salvation that you have given us. And Father, may we, by understanding our salvation, better understand the message of the book of Revelation to hold on to it. And then may that shape us as individuals and as a church. So that then, God, as we go our separate ways to our homes, our our places of work, our neighborhoods, we have something to hold out to those that so desperately need to be saved. We can say, let me tell you about this salvation that is so great. In your name we pray. Amen.